Hi there, children. Welcome back to Coast Access Radio Storytime. The mystery is deepening in our story, The Ghost House, by Bill Nagelkirk. There's quite a lot we'll unravel in this next lot of chapters. Here we go. Chapter 21. The bees are humming again as David passes near the hives. The smoke is dissipated. There's no sign of the beekeepers either. Mandy has gone to get ready for her party. Edith may be at this very moment trying to persuade Agnes to let social services help her find somewhere better to live. Time's getting on. David sends Amber another message. On my way home now. He adds a smiley face. She's quick to send a thumbs up back to him. It's a warm feeling, knowing she's looking out for him, but irritating too, as if she doesn't really believe he's perfectly capable of looking after himself. David half-heartedly scouts around for Dulo's memorial marker. What are the chances of finding it in the long grass? Zilch. There's no way he was going to admit to Rosalind. Ros, what he'd done with it? She would have been upset. If David ever happens to come across the inscribed piece of wood again, she'll be so pleased to get it back. But he doubts he'll be seeing either the marker or Ros and James again. Except... They visit the river all the time. Who knows, maybe there's a chance they'd agree to take him out in their kayak one day. It's a long shot, but the idea fires his imagination. Makes him smile. You're back, says Amber when he walks in, and in a good mood. So, did you sort your old lady out? She's not my old lady, David says, but you asked her about things, about the way she was living and all that. She wasn't bothered. Said she has everything she needs. I knew she was hiding something, but I didn't know what. You didn't know? Does that mean you do now? Well, after we talked, I went to have a look at the river. On the way there, I met these beekeepers, Ed and Mandy. Beekeepers? I told you not to talk to any more strangers. Ed talked to me first, David says. Anyway, there's way more interesting stuff in the red zone than you'd think. You really should come with me one day. All of us should go. The only bee stings I like are the edible cake variety. <laughs> Forget the bees for a minute, says David. Ed filled in some of the blanks about Agnes. He repeats what Ed has told him. Wow, what a life, says Amber, squatting in a falling-down house. She does need help. The house isn't exactly falling down, says David. But if it isn't in danger of doing that, it's quite likely to be demolished, if Agnes can be believed. And David's no longer sure that she can. It could do with rescuing, he says, just like Agnes. Ed said he'd go and see on his way home tonight. Good, says Amber. It wasn't your problem to begin with, just like I told you. Now it's all sorted, hopefully. You can forget it. Yes, says David, except... Except what? I think I still have to go back once more to make sure that Ed has been able to do something for her. I also said I'd try to come back and tell Agnes about what I saw when I went to look at the river. Amber shakes her head in disbelief. That's right, you said you went to look at the river. Who did you end up talking to there? Actually, I chatted to a couple who arrived in a kayak and... David begins before Amber stops in mid-sentence. Enough, she says. I was being sarcastic. Too much information. I don't want to know any more. But listen, 
What if your Agnes digs her toes in and refuses to be helped by this beekeeper? What are you going to do then? Get your friendly kayakers to step in and whisk off in their kayak? I don't know. There's nothing else you can do, Amber says decisively. Leave it alone now. Leave her alone. If this Ed's as good as you say he is, and he can't shift Agnes, then what chance do you have? I don't know, says David. This time when he says that familiar phrase, it's with a faint smile, as if he's starting to see a joke that he's somehow missed before. But I think I have to find out. Chapter 22 He leaves home later than he planned. Amber has tempted him into having a game of Scrabble, and he's reluctant to go until the game is finished. He's checked on the spelling of Agnes's word, hyperbole, and worked out that it's worth 19 points. He doesn't get the chance to use it this time, but one day he will. This will be my last visit to the house, he promises Amber, after the game is over. For once, David has won. He makes a promise to himself as well. Agnes, it's me, David. I'm back. Agnes doesn't reply immediately, but she must have heard him, since she's in the hallway when David comes inside. Did you see it? she asks, as if it's still the same day, and he's been gone only a short while and just returned. The river and all its glory. David nods. Agnes sighs with remembering. You may never have met the river before, she says. But once I befriended it nearly every day. I played beside it, swam in it, flung myself over and above it on ropes and swings. When you were there, the tide would have raised it high and the current would have been running back to the sea. Am I right? Yeah, the river was fast. I saw rowers on it and two people in a kayak and on the way I found where the sound of the bees was coming from. Well, well, I am impressed, says Agnes. You've accomplished a lot in a little space of time. I've always believed that accomplishments, large or small, are food for the spirit. This talk about accomplishing things encourages David to follow Agnes's example. He wastes no time on ceremony either. Just as a stormwater drain purged its contents into the river, the words he has been storing up since yesterday pour out of him. Did Ed come to see you? he asks. Agnes gives him one of her shifty looks. I met two beekeepers yesterday as well, says David. Ed and Mandy. They were with the bees. Agnes shakes her head. I spoke to no one after you left, she says. The way she shapes her answer makes David suspicious. Ed was going to visit, he continues. He heard that Stephen finished squatting in your house ages ago. He says that you don't belong here, that you don't own this house, that maybe it was Stephen who told you it was a good place to come to if you needed somewhere to stay. Agnes looks perturbed, but not especially guilty. I believe Stephen was still there, she says, choosing her words with care. If I'm wrong, well, he came and went for many days and nights. I thought, but time passes so quickly, doesn't it? It may have been longer ago than I recall. So much time has passed, she says, yet again. David persists. But if that's true and you let him stay because it really is your house, then why didn't he say goodbye and thank you before he left so you'd know for sure he was gone? 
Why would Ed say he'd never seen you here? I know about the Lanyard people too. They aren't doctors or builders. I didn't say they were, Agnes says. They'd have to be from the council. They want to do something about your house. Agnes glares at him. Her tone sharpens. Suddenly you seem to think you know an awful lot, she says. David isn't going to let himself be diverted by Agnes a second time. Then that's a good thing for a change, isn't it, he says. Were you hiding when the social services people came to help Stephen? Did you hide again yesterday? From Ed? And what about the lanyard people when they came? David wants to believe that Agnes has kept her distance from unwelcome visitors, from busybodies. He wants to believe that everything she's told him hasn't been one big fat lie. He's had enough of people doing that to him. They call it sugar-coating the truth. Weasel words. He persists. I mean, you said you knew Stephen, so if this really is your house, you must have invited him in. I did know him, Agnes replies, but I never said I invited him in. He invited himself. But what did you say to him when he arrived? Agnes moves into the front room. David trails after her. She stands in the colours cast by the lead-light windows, looking down at the camping stove, the potatoes, the flattened canisters. It's as if she's seeing Stephen there, among all his leftover bits and pieces. Ah, tricky question, she eventually replies. I didn't talk to him, neither he to me. I didn't invite you either. You also let yourself in. David isn't going to argue with that. It's perfectly true. But you are talking to me, he reminds her. Indeed I am, Agnes agrees, although I suspect you and I have more in common with one another than I had with Stephen, the lanyard people, or your new beekeeper acquaintances. Now tell me, she says, before David can carry on with his questioning, more about your time of illness. Chapter 23 That throws him badly. David's face closes up, taking on the pinched and sullen look his parents dislike so much, a mingling of fear, stubbornness and rage. I don't want to talk about that, he says. It happened not long after we arrived, but I'm getting better now, getting better all the time. Soon I'll be playing cricket again and doing loads of other things. There's so much I want to do, he says, as much for his own benefit as for Agnes's. Well and good then, says Agnes. She adds, very deliberately, we all lock our privacy, you included. David can see what she did there. Why should he expect Agnes to tell him more than she wants to if he isn't prepared to reveal more about himself to her? But he's not going to change his mind on this one. He wants to leave his illness in the past, where it will soon belong. Like the river, he wants to move on, rapidly, ever on. As Agnes said only yesterday, no one owns the lives of bees. David is determined not to let the past own him. I only asked, says Agnes, her tone becoming gentle, because I know what it's like to fight being unwell. 
Sometimes you beat the illness, other times you lose out against it. From what you say, you're winning your battle, or you've won it already. That's good news. Very good news indeed. However, I'm guessing that there was a time when maybe you came... Close, she says. Very close? Again, David understands what Agnes is saying. Yes, he says, I came close. Very close. Agnes nods. The angel of death, she whispers to herself. The brush of her soft wings. Who can escape them? His pent-up anger spent, his determination weakened, David apologises. I shouldn't have told Ed about you. I didn't plan to. It just came out before I knew what I was saying. I was worried, you know, about you. I never thought it would matter, but it matters to you, doesn't it? Agnes shrugs. Perhaps it will matter more to you than to me. To answer your earlier question, I wasn't here when that gentleman came. So you were hiding from him. Why didn't you want to talk? He can do more than I can. He can help you find a better place to live. Agnes smiles. David, neither he nor you need to do anything for me. I don't need a place to live. Despite what you might think this is my place, this is my place. I'm not hiding from people. Take my word for it. Perhaps, she adds, you're the one who needs to be going back to your place. On cue, David's stomach rumbles. You see, I know my boys, says Agnes. You must be getting rather hungry. You run along home now. It's been nice meeting you, even if you came uninvited. But all good things come to an end, don't they? As do bad things. Remember that, David, won't you? He doesn't know what reply to make. As it turns out, he doesn't have to. Another, more urgent matter overtakes them. Chapter 24 They're coming, says Agnes. Can you hear them? Yes, says David. Now I can. Ancestral voices, says Agnes. Did you know, boy, that voices and vices are separated by just one letter? No, I didn't know that, says David. I mean, I've never thought about it before. Of course you haven't, says Agnes, and they both smile. You think it could be the lanyard people? David asks, seriousness returning. Undoubtedly. They would be the ones most inclined to lose a letter to gain a vice. I think they're close, says David. But it's hard to tell distance in the red zone. You won't not be able to talk to them this time. It's too late to get away. When I was a child, growing up here, the large cupboard in the hall was always a good hiding place, says Agnes, and an occasional treasure trove. That's where Stephen found my son's camping stove. David follows Agnes into the hall, where she points the cupboard out to him. So you do hide from them? Not I. You may, if that's what you wish to do. I've already explained to you. I don't hide from people. I don't need to hide from anyone. Help me. Save me. The house, whose voice has been still again up until now, 
suddenly whispers with loud urgency in David's ear. We really should try to save your house, says David, if we just talked to them, made them see how important it is. We? Well, you, I guess. It's just that... It's just that when I found the house, I had the feeling that it was asking me to help save it. But what can I do? I'm just a kid. Just a kid indeed, says Agnes. As I said before, you accomplished a lot during your sojourn at the river, and we can all leave our mark on the world, you know, one way or another. I wouldn't know how to. Your theme tune. Agnes turns the words into a chant. Don't know, don't know, don't know. I look out the window, David says, feeling ashamed, without intending to. See how far away they are. He hurries back to the front of the house, to the room with the coloured glass in its windows. More agitated dust powers up his nose, but he suppresses the need to sneeze. He tugs aside a corner of a dirty net curtain, afraid the whole thing will crumble to bits in his hand, exposing him to view. Miraculously, the curtain stays intact. At first David can see no one, but soon the human voices take human shapes, pushing their way through the circle of trees, which no longer seem to offer protection, but rather act as a trap. Two people enter the circle. Both are masked, but neither wears a lanyard or a name tag. So, not the lanyard people then. Perhaps they're a couple of foragers, or, like him, simply wanderers in the red zone, stepping through this earthquake country to marvel at the changes that the violent earth has wrought on the land. But then no, David decides. They aren't random walkers in the wilderness. They've come with a purpose. He sees it in the way they march towards the house, the keen way they discuss things as they approach. He lets the curtain fall. David doesn't hear Agnes come up behind him, not until her voice breathes words into his ear. Instinctively, he draws back a little. Covid rules have kept people distant for so long. I saw them too, she says, but they haven't seen us. Not yet they haven't, David says, but they will, and if they decide to come in, what happens then? If you're not going to hide, can you lock the front and back doors instead? Agnes shakes her head. This house has never had locks. Who on earth are they? says David. They are for a reason, that's for sure. I know the man, even with the incomprehensible face covering he wears, but not the woman, says Agnes. So, he is one of the lanyard people. No, says Agnes. Well, who is he then? He's my grandson. Your grandson? But, but that's so cool. He's come to see how you are. He'll be able to look after you now. Then doubt returns as David remembers Ed telling him that Agnes doesn't own the house, wasn't living in it at the time he came through, and he no longer knows what to believe. No, Agnes says, he's not here to see me, nor to look after me and my affairs, neither need looking after. But if you really do live here like you say you do, 
then he must know you shouldn't be here on your own. He'll have come because he thinks you need looking after. No, Agnes says again. He will not be thinking that at all. And for once you do know something, except you don't appear to have comprehended it. It seems to me that your brain is a poor thing, unable to put two and two together. Rather than being stunned to anger again by Agnes's remark, David feels that he's drowning in nonsense. Her nonsense. Her words simply confirm his fears for the old woman. Ed thinks you need help, he says. We both do. What you and he think matters to me not a jot. Then why is your grandson here? David says. And why aren't you going out there to say hello to him and his partner, if that's who she is? I've never seen her before, Agnes tells him again, but I can speculate why he's brought her here. Why then? What I told you was the truth, says Agnes. Never doubt that. This is my house. It is my home. I belong here, but my grandson owns my home, and I'm guessing he's hoping to sell it to her. He doesn't want to keep the house himself, but he does desire to save it. What about her? Does she? You see, David, there are some things that I too just do not know. Chapter 25 Agnes's grandson, who appears to be about the same age as David's dad, and the woman approach the house and begin to circumnavigate it. Soon, the sound of their voices suggests that they have arrived at the rear of the property, near the back door. They'll come inside soon, David says, panic-stricken, tight-chested, almost breathless again. He hates feeling that way. What will I do then? He says to Agnes. Your grandson will ask me who I am and what I'm doing here in your and his house. Can't you talk to them, please? Explain. I wouldn't have a clue what to say. Neither would I, says Agnes. Try the cupboard if you want to disappear for a while. Agnes retreats down the hallway. At first David hurries after her, stirring up even more dust, the floorboards creaking, but by the time he comes to a halt beside the hallway cupboard, Agnes has already disappeared. He can do as the old lady suggests, hide in there, or he can try escaping by the front door and hope he isn't seen. Both options are risky. As he dithers, he hears what the voices are saying. It really is in a bad state of repair. Over a decade of neglect, Agnes's grandson says to the woman, but the structure's more solid than it looks. It survived the quakes better than most other places in Red Zone. That's true, but why have you hung on to it for so long? She asks. For the same reason you've come to look at it, I suppose. I keep hoping it will be saved. Anyway, let's go inside before you decide if the old girl can be rehabilitated or not. For a split second, David leaps to the conclusion that the old girl, the man is referring to, is Agnes, his grandmother, but he quickly realises his mistake. He's referring to the house, of course. I'm not sure how I'm going to decide, the woman says. Perhaps there'll be a sign, the man says with a laugh as he opens the door. Agnes said, we can all leave our mark on the world. David has just enough time 
before he conceals himself inside the enormous hallway cupboard. Chapter 26 David pulls the cupboard door shut, enclosing himself in a darkness that feels as utter as it did during his dark days in the hospital, a time when he didn't know if he would ever leave it. During that time, Amber handed him a poem she'd written, especially for him. He can remember it word for word. To my little brother, never give up. Not even when the bad feels worse than the worst you ever imagined. Never give up. Not even when the best seems like a shadow of all the bests you've ever had. Never give up. He can't remember if he thanked her for it at the time or if he thanked her at all. He'd better do so the next time he sees her. Very soon, he hopes. Chapter 27 The conversation, when David replays it in his head, goes something like this. Woman, wow, would you look at that, a vintage kitchen, complete with classic coal range. Grandson, that was Grandma all over. Never wanted to change a thing. She did get a microwave, though, and knew how to use it although she liked to pretend she didn't. Woman, how long did you say she lived here? Grandson, all her life. She was born in this house. Amazing, isn't it? Woman, that sort of thing doesn't happen these days. The big quakes must have been devastating for her. How old was she when they happened? Ninety-something? Grandson, it was heartbreaking. She would have been 92, nearly 93. The quakes were the death of her, figuratively, and then, literally. Woman. That means, ah, oh, let's see. That means she was born not long after the First World War ended. Grandson. Yep, that'd be right. Woman. Tough times she lived through. Grandson, some of the toughest, but they made them tough those days. She didn't have much of an education, but I remember my dad telling me once that Grandma was interested in everything, tried to keep up to date with everything. She loved books and reading. Went to the library most days, apparently. Loved words more than anything else, but it all went downhill after the quakes. Hardly surprising. So many people were affected, one way. Or another. Woman. I understand. I lived through the quakes myself. That's why I had to leave the place for a while. Glad I'm back now, though. I've missed the city. Grandson. Of course. I forgot. You said you were here then. No one ever expects the world's going to be pulled out from under them, do they? I felt so bad for Grandma that I wasn't here to help her when she needed help the most. But what could I do from a distance? I flew back when I was able and tried to be of some use later. She refused to budge from the house then and afterwards when her health deteriorated. Try to save my house when I'm gone, she said to me. I said, I'd try. If Dad had still been alive, he might have been able to persuade her to leave, but I had no chance. Neither did the city council people. She lived here, and she was going to die here, and that's what she did. 
Hope that doesn't put you off the place. Woman. No, not at all. From what you say, there are only good memories here, and no unhappy ghosts. Grandson. Well, that's the kitchen done. Hallway down yonder. All still the original, solid carry floors and Rimu panelling. Pretty dark and dismal, though. You might want to paint it up. Woman. Nice big cupboard there, by the look of it. Grandson. I wouldn't open it if I were you. Who knows what horrors lie inside. Mice, rats, tarantulas, zombies. Woman. Ha ha. No need. I've been inside lots of old villas of this age. I know exactly how roomy their cupboards are. Grandson. I'll open the front door to let a bit more light in. Woman. That's better. Grandson. Hey, what's that writing on the floor? Woman. Let's see. Save me. Where on earth did that come from? Did you write it? Was that a cunning way of persuading me to buy it by showing me a sign? Grandson. No, no way, honestly. I'd never do anything like that. I couldn't have, in any case. I only flew in this morning and came straight here to meet you. Woman. Then I guess it's a genuine sign. How weird. Grandson. So, does that mean... Oh, my goodness. It seems Agnes is dead. It's what David wondered all along. But I can't help wondering. Is she really dead? We'll find out next time when we finish reading The Ghost House. Goodbye. Happy reading. This program was made with assistance from New Zealand on air for radio broadcast and through the accessmedia.org.nz website. Thank you, New Zealand on air.